If you have a Bible today, you can maybe turn to Joshua and chapter 3. Uh, Joshua chapter 3. And in our churches, we're looking together at the, the book of Joshua. We're thinking of this theme of windows into the church of Christ. We're looking at different attributes and aspects of Christ's church that we see through the chapters in the book of Joshua. We've already considered the chapter regarding surprising conversions as we studied together at Rahab and last Sabbath morning. We considered this attribute of faithful service. Today we come to consider together this aspect of Christ's church, the presence of Christ with his people, the presence of Christ with his people. The 24th of August in 1872, sorry, 1572, 450 years ago, is known to us as the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Day. This was a time when the Queen Mother ordered the massacre of the Huguenots in Paris and then a massacre which stretched out into the rest of France, creating a civil war at that time. The numbers ranged from 3,000 in the city of Paris then out to 70,000 killed in the nation of France itself. A, a, a significant day, the most significant day in that year, 1572. And imagine in that year, memorable for that event, as someone predicted the invasion of Ukraine. A prediction which was well known, a prediction which was anticipated and studied and expected. Imagine how incredible that would be. And then to see it fulfilled 450 years after. And this is what's happening in the book of Joshua, isn't it? As we come to this important chapter of the people crossing into the promised land. A land which had been promised 450 years ago to Abraham when he owned no field, when he did not possess any inch of this land of Canaan, God promised him that his descendants would inherit this land. And we're coming in the journey of the church in Joshua to think of this momentous day when that ancient promise to Abraham is being brought to pass. The second half of Joshua, as, as we now know from chapter 13 to 24, is a, a detailed account of the division of that promised land. Our focus in these sermons is on the first half of Joshua, which describes the conquering of that promised land. And today, we think of this insight into the church of Christ, the presence of Christ with his people. Only three headings uh, this morning. We're thinking first of all of the dwelling of the present Christ. And then secondly of the directing of the present Christ. And then thirdly 
of the doing of the present Christ. Christ is present. And we want to reflect on his presence and his activities as he dwells and acts and directs his church. Let's think first of all of of Christ dwelling then in his church. As we've indicated to the children, this idea of the Ark of the Covenant is central to chapter 3 and 4 in the book of Joshua, mentioned 17 times in those two chapters. And this is the, the dominant piece of furniture in that ancient edifice, the, the tabernacle, uh, where the, the worship of God was centered in the Old Testament church at that time. There were other pieces of furniture, weren't there? Uh, there was that big brass altar as you came through the gate into the tabernacle and the laver after that before you entered the holy place where the candlestick was, the table of showbread and the altar of incense. And then you entered through into the holiest of all. And there in that most special room was the Ark of the Covenant. Overlaid with gold, with the cherubims on top. This symbol of the presence of Christ with his church. It was this visible, helpful representation and assurance to the people of God that he was with them in the exile into Babylon and Assyria the ark of the covenant was lost and after the exile that the people of God did not have this visible representation of God's presence with them but here at this time in this crossing of the river Jordan They have with them this comfort, this assurance, this visible box representing the presence of Christ with his church. And you see how in this chapter, this aspect of what the the ark represents merges with what it represents. So that the box and and the God whom the box represents are spoken of as one. See in verse number 11 and you have the footnote in the English Standard Version down to the, the literal Hebrew translation. The Ark of the Covenant, the Lord of all the earth. And you see there how the Ark of the Covenant is equated with, is synonymous with the Lord of all the earth. This was its role within the Old Testament church and this certainly was its role on this day that as God's people were called to take this incredible step of crossing the fast-flowing, deep and wide River Jordan, the Lord of all the earth was assuredly with them. We have the same concept in verse 17. The ark, the covenant of the Lord. There is the ark, that box 
covered in gold with its poles being carried by the priests, not the Levites on this occasion, the priests emphasizing the dignity of this event. There it is. There's the ark. But it's more than the ark, the writer says. It's the covenant of the Lord. God's special bond with his people, his promises, his warnings, his assurances of grace and forgiveness and help is there among them. The ark is synonymous in the writer's understanding. With the Lord of all the earth, with the covenant of grace of our God, When the Royal Standard flies at Buckingham Palace, it means that the Queen is in residence in one of her royal palaces there. That Royal Standard with emblems from England and Northern Ireland and Wales and Scotland signify she is there. And here the Ark of the Covenant is doing just that signifying, assuring Christ is present with his people. Today we do not have the Ark of the Covenant. We do not have any tangible symbol of the presence of Christ with us as they did in that way then. But we have his sure word, don't we? We read it in Matthew 28 in the last verse. And behold, I am with you all the days, even to the end of the world. What an assurance for us. Echoing what Jesus had said in chapter 18 of Matthew, where two or three gather together in my name, there I am among them. Just as he was with his people as they went down to the edge of the River Jordan, so he is with us today. He is present with his church. Doesn't this emphasize that the church is is not on a par with the local bowling club or or running club or reading group? They, They gather with many things in common. They have many bonds and connections, but they are not promised the presence of Christ. But as we gather here, as we live our lives in our homes, we have that assurance that Christ is present with us. How significant it was for God's people at this time. Moses, their great leader, had passed on. They they felt his loss, his wisdom, his experience, how they would have loved to have him there. But God makes prominent for them this symbol of his presence. He is with them. He will enable them to progress and go on and triumph in his grace and his power. As we face the challenges of our life, and all of us have challenges, some of them perhaps unprecedented as this one was. 
You haven't gone down this road before. You haven't faced this circumstance yet. You haven't been in this situation. You've no experience to draw on. Yet Christ is with us to enable us and uphold us. The dwelling of the present Christ. But secondly, the directing of the present Christ. You see the language here in our chapter in verse number 4. Telling the people to hold back a little from the ark. The distance I reckon is around half a mile that they were to, to come behind uh, this special evidence of God's presence. And what is the reason uh, for this command? Some think that it is to show reverence uh, to this symbol of God's presence. They were to crowd this special box, but they were to hang back and, and be deferential uh, to this symbol that God was among his people. Commentators would appeal to Mount Sinai where the people were to keep their distance from this mountain on which God had descended to give his law. Matthew Henry, he suggests that one of the reasons for this distance is to show the self-sufficiency of God. He doesn't need people to defend him and guard him. They are these Priests unarmed can be away half a mile in front with this precious golden box. But the God who dwells there can defend himself. But perhaps the the best answer is, is found in our text. That they were to keep this half mile distance so that they would know, the text says, the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before, verse 4. This ark, this symbol of God's presence, this is what Christ does among his people. He's not an actor. He's not among us just to give us a warm feeling or a sense of the supernatural. He is among us to guide us. No gifted general would have taken the two million plus people of Israel along this route. None of them would have taken this group down the hill towards this raging river. But here is God guiding, directing, leading the way for his people. The phrase used here in verse 4, know the way, is a phrase which has been used 18 times in the Pentateuch. It is a phrase often associated with understanding God's word and being able to apply it to life circumstances. It's used by Jethro in Exodus 18 verse 20 as he describes Moses' work within the people of Israel. He says it's to teach them God's statutes and judgments that they might know the way. And as we look at this marvelous description of this segment of God's people journeying into the land of Canaan, coming down this pathway that no soldier, general, woman or child would choose, we are to see that our God who dwells among us is one who teaches us the way. 
That not only does he show us, as he did here, the geographical path for the people of Israel to enter the land of promise, but he guides us in our lives, in every level, at every turn, in every moment of decision. You might be interested to know that between 1993 and 2013, the number of road signs in England and the UK more than doubled. More cars were on the road, more people living in the land, more travel happening, more signs and direction was needed. And we are a people who need direction, not only from road signs in our streets and lanes, but from our God. And he is present among us to guide us. He guides us in the ordinary way, doesn't he? Through his word, not by this ark anymore, but through his word, he guides us. And as we open up his word and and listen to him speaking there, he, he shows us how to live. And we can, in a true and a real sense, know the way. I've been interested in reading in the book of Proverbs of some incredible guidance about how I speak. For example, we we read in, in Proverbs chapter 26 verse 20 that for lack of wood the fire goes out. We've all had that experience. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. What wisdom is there? What direction? What guidance? What help God gives to us? But he also guides us in extraordinary ways. That that sometimes in our life there is not a right or a wrong in this decision, but a good and a better. And Christ, who is present with his church, can guide us to that better way. In choosing a career, in choosing a marriage partner, in choosing where to live, in choosing what to do with Lower Mary Street. As we look to Him, the Christ present with His people, He shows us the way. Dwelling with us, directing us, and then thirdly, the doing of the present Christ. The doing of the present Christ. The climax of uh, the chapter obviously is the crossing of the, the River Jordan. Its climax is indicated by the numerous verbs used uh, to describe uh, the event that the, the, the water is standing up in a heap, being cut off. A whole range of of, of important languages pulled together uh, to form this tremendous climax. And and as the writer climaxes this, he he puts this information into brackets, doesn't he? Which seems to stop the the climax that that he's arrived at uh, in in these verses. 
He goes on in in verse number 15 to speak about uh, some geographical dimensions of the Jordan. That it overflows its banks in the time of harvest. But this is to add to this climax. Such is the magnitude of God's work that he doesn't do it when the river is empty. When the river is low. But when the river is overflowing. 90 to 100 feet wide. 10 feet deep. Falling nine feet every mile, meaning that its current is powerful. Here is this powerful, deep, wide river overflowing its banks in harvest time, surrounded by jungle that's hard to traverse. And it's through this difficult terrain and river that Almighty God brings his people. Here is the present Christ. Here is his power. No challenge too big for him. No event too hard for him. Here is his majesty and power. And the writer emphasizes this. They go across, he says, on the dry land. Such was the effectiveness of this miracle. He mentions the river stopping at Adam, which was 16 miles up the river, so that the water stopped there, allowing a a massive area for all these people to, to walk across close to the city of Jericho. This is the Christ who is present among us. Sometimes... As in the case of the disciples in the boat, we we wonder what Christ is doing. We question. We struggle. We would wish things were, were different. We would wish circumstances or people had changed. And yet, he was working in that boat in their lives, wasn't he? He was testing their faith, a test which they failed. But here we see his power. The present Christ is a mighty Christ. We look into scripture and we see his power as he works within his church. We see him at the Red Sea bringing his people across. We see him at the Jordan River. We see this in the miracles of Elisha and Elijah. We see it in the apostles' miracles in the New Testament. We see it in those remarkable conversions of Paul And of the Philippian jailer, the present Christ is a mighty Christ among us here. And we see it in our time, don't we? Giving one of his members strength through cancer treatment. Giving a father perseverance in family worship, giving a teenager the grace to witness in the playground, giving a middle-aged believer strength to be faithful, peace in a storm, grace in a trial, hope in our disappointment. Here is Christ administering his power, not always in remarkable and outstanding ways, but constantly supporting, upholding, 
keeping his people. Dwelling. Perhaps I'll call round at your house sometime and hear raucous laughter from the living room. I will nosily look in the window to see you sitting there with your neighbour nattering away and join their company full of smiles. The smiling, the noise, the joy is accidental to your neighbour's presence. Your neighbour could be there without noise and joy and conversation. And not always do we feel the presence of Christ. Not always do we have the assurance of his love. Not always is communion with Jesus vibrant and powerful. But he is always with you. Directing, leading us day by day, and sometimes leading us, as in this moment, to a big challenge, a new challenge, an unusual challenge. The phone call from the doctor demanding that you go to A&E immediately. A visit from the police that your son's been involved in an accident. Suddenly, a new challenge coming before you, but Christ is present with his people. In doing, Paul says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all We can ask or think. What a window this is. Looking in to the church of Christ. And as we look in to the church of Christ today. We see the presence of Christ. The Lord of hosts is with us. Therefore, we will not fear. 